All right. Here we go. Quiet. Quiet. Hello, welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put it all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief, Drees. Rich Drees. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Contributing Editor, Bogutsky. <laughs> Natasha Bogutsky. How's it going, Natasha? As you almost snarf your tea. I'm so sorry. Coffee, actually, but yeah. Coffee, whoops. It was the accent. It was the world's worst it's, Sean Connery it's impersonation. So bad. <laughs> it's so bad. They need to bring Mel Gibson out of retirement to dub you. Oof. Wait, what? Why him? Because <laughs> he does a pretty good Sean Connery. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'd prefer Steve Coogan dubbing me. That'd be better, because as a fan of the trip, that would be fun. <laughs> he did Michael Caine. He, he he also does Sean Connery in one of the movies, too. Uh, how about Johnny Lee Miller, since he actually has a connection to the Bond movies? Oh, okay. He would be good. He did Sean Connery in Trainspotting. That's right. That is right. <laughs> uh, Welcome back, everyone. Yeah. I know we've been gone for quite a while. Yeah. We do apologize. Yeah, a couple weeks. Um, we wanted to do, I think, one more episode. Then we knew we were going to run into some trouble uh, for part of September. And he, that's when we were going to take our break. We wound up taking it, I think, a week early. Yeah, he's uh, been announced. He's been traveling. I have sold my house. Uh, so getting ready to do some moving. Yeah, this might... And... Uh, we're recording in your kitchen. Normally, it's over at uh, my apartment, i.e. Film Buff Online International Headquarters. I'm going to miss this dining room color. It's great. Um, it, it's like it's, a metallic copper. Yeah, it's really cool. And this might be the last time we record here, so... <laughs> oh, don't, 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 uh, well, don't. I will make sure we record here one more time. Thank then. you. Okay. And I'll remember to bring all the proper equipment. <gasps> so we won't be, like, well, hunched up on one microphone today. Well, we'll still be at the um, at your apartment for the Oscars. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. That's not changing. No. Nope. <laughs> I'm trying to find out what things are going to change for... Film buff online, given its uh, West headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the fact that you live four, seven miles west of me. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's not like your headquarter, your home is out in like um, California or anything like that compared mm. to me in Pennsylvania. We're both here. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, as you can kind of guess from us clowning around in the opening there, uh, we are going to be doing a Big, super deep dive into the latest James Bond film, No Time to Die. And, folks, there will be spoilers. So, if you haven't seen it, um, hit pause, pause. Go see the movie, come back, and then hit play. Yes. Immediately. Like, now. If you're driving somewhere, turn and start going towards a theater. You know, now. <laughs> I love how you absolutely believe, like, none of us have anything better else to do than watch a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, work, grocery shopping, picking the kids up at school. Nah. Go to the movies. Always more important. 
You're having trouble finding an argument against that, aren't you? I'm having a trouble not saying something that could be insulting. Uh, well, that's never stopped you before. <laughs> well, um, mm. anyways, yes, it has. Yeah, we're kind of giddy too today. It's mm. it's it's a Monday morning. Uh, it's uh, well, I just want to shit day. all over you. Be honest, because you were an hour late. <laughs> 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 says, this motherfucker says, said he'd be here at 9.30. I was up. No, you weren't. Your husband said you weren't up till 9.45. Well, I we also said, I also told you last night, um, you said 9.30. You also said, I'm going to stop the liquor store for boxes. So pretty much <laughs> you'll be here by 10. I got up a quarter of, went to the liquor, my liquor store to grab a couple of boxes, which they didn't have. Same. Came back by 10 o'clock and you still were fucking here. <laughs> so I got delayed by meeting with some folks. It's okay. Anyways, we're we're uh, we're here now though. So um lots happened in the last couple of weeks. I'm sure you've heard most of the news on things. Um really quickly, IATSE. IATSE yeah. um is the uh collective union for a lot of the under the line crew people members. who work on films. Yeah. Uh grips Gaffers, lighting guys, construction, con- set construction, set painters, PAs, um, writers room assistants on TV shows, um, you know, uh, crafty, yeah. a- any of that. They're all, um, they're all, uh, you know, part of this uh, union that is striking for uh, better wages and uh, less hours and uh, more time uh, for turnarounds. Uh, which is basically like if you wrap on midnight on a Wednesday night, but you need to be back at eight o'clock Thursday morning, but you still have like an hour drive home after that. Mm-hmm. You know that's what okay six hours there you have to once you're home to you know do whatever you need to do, grab a couple of hours of sleep, and then get back up, shower, and be back out the door to be on set. They're arguing for you know longer turnaround times because uh, you know there's been many incidences over the years of. Crew members just driving home and just being so exhausted, you know, that they fall asleep because they've just done a 14, 16, 18, 20 hour shoot. Mm -hmm. And they had turnaround, you know, of like eight hours and it's just not safe. No. And, you know, so. And it's about time and I stand with IATSE for for that. Same here. I mean, we're not members and our shorts have been non-union. But I think, with the we, with the exception, one exception, we both where, worked crew, yeah. so we understand exactly mm-hmm. what what's going on there. Yeah, and I think with one exception on our stuff, um, which is just when the day just got haywire, and we lucked out by having to cancel the next day. Anyways, mm-hmm. we've never had like really super long days. No, we um, had we had one super long day, and yeah, the and we learned from that. <laughs> actually, we we were supposed to shoot the entire weekend, so it was been it was Friday. We shot from 6 to 11, mm-hmm. and um, we sent everyone home, and I actually got the cast on the set. Uh, I think wake-up call was, what was it, 4 a.m., 5 a.m.? Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a short turnaround. Yeah, and for the cast. The crew didn't need to be on set until almost 9 or 10, because yeah. I needed to work um, yeah. blocking with the, the two cast members for that day. Because we had not been on location just yet. Yeah, and um, there was a company move involved on that day. Yeah. It, it was bad scheduling was like on my n- part, and I've always owned that. Yeah, and it was uh, a 19-hour day. But then um, that Sunday came, 
and we were we were supposed to be scheduled, but we lost our location last minute, and it, we Thankfully. actually lucked out. Yeah, um, because everyone was exhausted after almost doing twenty hours. Yeah, I think when we got the call on that around like nine, eight, nine o'clock in the evening, or whenever yeah. we got the call, we were I, so. I was like, that's almost. actually the best thing that could have happened. Well, not at first. We were very, yeah. we were frustrated. Frustrated, but we wound up getting a better location yeah, that we, we used did. for two different locations because we shot it differently. It worked out much better overall. It was our first film. We were learning and we learned not to schedule like that yes. ever again. So, so if we can learn it. They can too. <laughs> yeah. Producers with real money yeah. can, can learn to do that too. And, uh, uh, so rich. Yes. How tired are you right now? I am very tired. I am in a very specific kind of tired. It's con hangover? Con hangover, <laughs> yes. Um, if you're caught where I said it's Columbus Day Monday earlier, um, and did the math, looked at a calendar, or just knew, uh, this past weekend was New York Comic Con. Um, they kept the attendance numbers low. They kept uh, the press numbers, uh, press passes low. Um, so Natasha and I couldn't attend on a press pass. Uh, but thankfully, through um, through a friend who had a booth at the con uh, and needed some extra help, I was able to uh, get in and, you know, in exchange for working for several hours for him each day, got to uh, bugger off to a couple of panels. And I hope to have the coverage up uh, for most of them uh, by the time you're hearing this. And of course, um, <laughs> the big thing was Friday night, them dropping uh, the entirety of Ghostbusters Afterlife. I knew they were going to do that. You, you didn't know until like the last second, you kind of guessed, I think. But No, I had a feeling oh, the you, entire time. Okay, you never said anything. No, I didn't want to get your hopes up. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, because, because if I had said something and they didn't... You would have been broken hearted because this is your baby. Ghostbusters is your baby. Oh, it is one of mine. One of my one of my foundational geek texts. Yeah. Yes. And um, so I did. I didn't want to hurt you if it didn't happen, but I had a feeling it was happening. Yeah, and uh, see, I wasn't thinking that because this is the first time that I can recall them screening an entire film at Comic Con, like in advance of anything. In the first couple of years, they used to have, like, some small rooms downstairs where they would show, like, some anime stuff. Or I remember one year they showed um, um, a live-action uh, Japanese film called Mutant uh, Mutant Girl Squads, which had already screened at some festivals and stuff. True. Uh, you know, weird stuff like that, you know. It was from the guys who made Tokyo Gore Police. But um, um, in, the, in the recent years... But something this big, no. Well, in, in the recent years, mm -hmm. we got a full, the first full episode of... No. Did we get the first or two? First two. No, it was just the first, first episode, episode of, of the new season of Outlander. Yeah. Um, um. We got a couple of trailers, but those films hadn't screened already. They weren't even finished. Yeah. This uh, film was finished and showed at CinemaCon two and a half months ago, which mm -hmm. means if they were as confident enough then to show it... They were going to be confident enough to show it here because the attendance at New York Comic Con wasn't as high as a normal year. True. Yeah, I mean, so less. They uh, they were in a room as big as the main hall um, this year. Mm -hmm. There's a new section that they opened up on the Javits. That's beautiful. Um, I'm hoping that in years going forward, they are using that section more uh, than they used it even this year. 
and then that eliminates the walking, you know, three blocks to the Hammerstein Ballroom for stuff, and then another, you know, two two or three blocks beyond that to get to Madison Square Garden, where you wind up walking around the place trying to find where you're supposed to go because no one seems to know. Um, <laughs> I, I in the past couple of years, I I got used to MSG. Like I could I could navigate that like the back of my hand. Only did the one panel at the Hammerstein Ballroom, and it was gorgeous on the inside. Oh, I yeah, want to go back there. It's beautiful, and it has some space down in like the basement area mm-hmm. uh, for for press roundtables. Because one year I was in the Hammerstein for like half a day doing like press roundtables. Never got up to the main hall. You know, we're down there um, talking with uh, the folks from uh, Stand Against Evil. Dana Gould show and um, somebody else too, and I cannot remember whom it was now. But um, it'll hit you later. Yeah, it will. I mean, fi- after 15 years of doing this, sometimes some of the details get lost. But I think this is probably for me. And you know, they have previously like screened like the first 15 minutes of Watchmen back in the day before that came out, mm-hmm. and that was like six months before it came out, and um, and then. Years later, in that same room, I saw the very first episode of the Watchmen HBO series, too. But, like, yeah, yeah but, the and the, big but, difference. Yeah. There's This movie comes out in a little over a month, it's, mm-hmm. and it's been completed for a while. Yeah. And we have COVID to thank for that. They yeah. had extra oh time God. to kind of finish that mm-hmm. off um, and hold off on it. But they feel confident. So what they're and doing they should is be. they're I showing it. I really, really liked it. A couple minor quibbles that I do mention in my review... But overall, oof, uh, it's it's a it's a fun film. It very much feels similar to the first two films. You know, Jason Reitman is directing this time, taking over the reins from his father. But you know, there's a lot of um, very similar. He he has obviously he has a really good feel for the the source material. Yeah, and when he didn't, he also he has an untapped. Source. Yes, his literally. Well, his dad's a producer on it, and literally, his dad was on set every day. Uh, you know, in a director's chair, like literally next to him by just a few inches. Going, they wouldn't do this. They would do this. Yeah, he he did offer a couple of suggestions, and sometimes they had a little bit of an argument. They talked about in the uh, in the thirty minute panel before they show. You know, surprised us with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I, I really liked it, I, and I'm anxious to go see it again um, with you and with others. And I am not as upset right now about Ghostbusters as it, I am this afternoon. Yeah, I know. Um, also, later on, um, oh wait, what's no? It's probably going to show up next week at some point. Uh, I've got uh, Dune coming up. Um, Which he's motherfuckers going to see today. <laughs> but we will have a talk about that movie in about two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll go see that again with you guys. You know that. Yeah, I know. I but know. you'll be spending the entire time looking at us instead of the screen watching for no, a reaction. No, You've no. done it. I have done it at times. And that's why I'm sorry. I guess we can start segueing into um, No Time to Die. Again, spoilers. Um, <laughs> what, what was that last one that... Well, we saw, I think it was Shang-Chi, where you turned and looked at us for Slattery's return when you knew it was coming. 
Oh, yeah. And I was staring at the screen, and I could see you out of my periphery, and I said, stop watching me. (laughs) You do realize that by doing that, you just gave away that something big is about to happen. And Mm -hmm. so when Trevor actually showed up, I didn't fucking flinch. I know. Because you actually gave it away through your reaction. I gotta be... be, be better at sneaky. watching you out of the corner of my eye, I guess. Uh, yeah, but the problem is, is you wear glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not going back to contacts either, it's I don't a, know. It's like um, blinders on a horse. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, that's that's part of the fun of like seeing a movie the second time with people who are seeing it the first time. You get, okay, how are their, what's their reaction? And you can see like the joy, yeah, the but smile then you're not on their faces. Yeah, together and stuff. as a group and. Okay. It just okay. Kind of ruins that mm. for you. I I just remember like the weekend. Um, uh, South Park: Bigger, Longer, Uncut came out, and saw it Friday night, and the Uncle Fucker song caught everybody by surprise because that's where the movie basically mm-hmm. k- kicks up three notches from the TV show. And I went back like a couple of more times during the film's run. Just to kind of watch people get caught off guard because it was so fun to watch those reactions. Well, yeah, it, it's 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 different mm-hmm. to watch people who are you know strangers in the theater versus going with your friends. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. Because your friends know you, mm-hmm. and they know if you're watching them, something is Something's about to about happen. To, yeah. And mm-hmm. then you're not reacting with the group, and mm-hmm. then it feels it feels weird. I, I know there will be a moment though where you will look at me for my reaction. And because we've talked about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, when we're watching stuff at home, but like yeah. not in a theater. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I try not to do that. Um, well, where, you, you've taught, well, you, let's just say you've never seen me cry. Yeah. And I, I was very teary in Ghostbusters uh, towards the end. Uh, for reasons you may want to guess at, or you may want to not guess at. Um, Speaking of being teary and, and ruining a surprise, without even thinking about it, um, Darren handed me a bunch of tissues in the middle of No Time to Die. I knew exactly that you had told him something was about to happen. I, I told... Uh, well, okay, your husband has bad timing, because he could have should have waited until you started to cry, and then I was crying at oh, that okay, moment. Okay, you were. Okay. But it was at the midway point, and you know what the midway point yes. was. Yes. Well, we're, 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 again, going into spoilers. So Get when, to the movie now. <laughs> so so basically we're talking about when Felix dies. Yes. Yes, okay. So we're now we're actually into the movie. Yeah, okay. we segue. Weird, weird emotional segue here. It uh, works. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, that's one of the... A, I was... There were so many s- spoilers in this movie that remained hidden. Yeah, um, I, th- I'm very impressed yes. with the amount of secret keeping that mm-hmm. was done on this movie that people actually managed to <laughs> keep. Yeah. Now, uh, my review, which was written literally, started ten minutes after uh, we got out of that screening uh, a couple, uh, about a week and a half ago now, mm-hmm. it feels like. Uh, only, And I only had an hour to write that thing before I had to duck back in for the Venom 2 screening. It was ridiculous uh, because of the way the... Uh, the embargo was working for that one. Uh, so I kind of talked about a few things, kind of kept it fairly spoiler-free, 
But um, so and, and, and yeah, so my review is out there. Uh, yeah. But what was um, what was your initial reaction? Let's uh, let's start of there. the movie itself. Yeah. Overall. Um, I will say what I told you. I think this is the most emotionally mature and complex Bond film we have ever received. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it takes... Daniel Craig's era changed James Bond completely. Before that, he was kind of like a... Like a cool and cold, just badass. Um, the films felt episodic. They they were all separate from each other. They weren't linked. This care the Daniel Craig era actually carries an an arc all the way through of storyline and of emotional purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this film really pays off that entire. It, it, it was yeah. It went from. The movie's being episodic to almost being in a mini-series style. Um, Yeah, I mean, you get two episodes that are James Bond's origin. Mm -hmm. And then three, you know, there's there's like a a several-year time jump there. Mm -hmm. And then three that feel roughly closely grouped together again in time, uh, with the exception of that five-year gap. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, Where... um, He's dealing with the consequences of his life. And I, I, and you're right. It's probably the most emotionally mature uh, film of the franchise by far. And before that, though, we were talking how Casino Royale is probably, was probably the most emotionally complex movie. Up until this point. Up until that point. And then before that, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, the George Lazenby one-off film. Yeah, a one-off yeah. is actually, and at this point, considered to be one of the greatest James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. And Underrated, that movie but beloved. has a bunch of echoes in this movie. Oh, God, so I mean, many. Literally, one of the first notes I wrote in that screening was when, all the time when he world. says, we have all the time in the world, um, I, I, I just wrote down per, uh, portentous dialogue. Not pretentious, portentous. Like, it portends something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And th- bad things happen. Yeah. Um, but I think everything it earns, especially the ending, uh, I mean, everything it does song. Is, is absolutely earned. And, you know, the movie's well aware of what it's doing, too, by calling back to... On Her Majesty's by using the Louis Armstrong We Have All the Time in the World from that mm-hmm. movie here over the end credits. Oh. And and that was another point where I got kind of tearied up. Yeah, and I too. missed it again. Sorry. Yeah. Well, uh, Don't say you need to attend more screenings. <laughs> I, no, I, you couldn't that one. I there know. were some that, because of COVID, they're still restricting plus ones, which sucks. Well, I no, I think that one was because it was at 3 o'clock. Well, that might have been another. Yeah, that was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Work. Yeah, I got out. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, anywho, um, but what I liked really when it because I had done like a rewatch of the Craig era uh, before this uh, came out. Partly, you know, because I wanted to do a refresher, and I've been meaning to all through COVID. And, gee, like you had eighteen months, and I couldn't get to it. <laughs> um, but we also did the um, in film buff. We did the previously on. Yeah. For this installment where, you know, just kind of give a rundown of everything that's happened to remind you of what you may need to know going into this new movie. And um, 
it's it's interesting because I mean, obviously, trust is a big thing in the spy game. You don't trust anybody. Yeah. Uh, but in this this um, section of the franchise in the Craig era, it does feel like everyone trusts everyone to a certain extent. It's a and it's about Ken Bond trust. Yeah. Uh, I think he trusts people to have his back, but trust to love. That's where he draws the line. Oh, yeah. And I think it's because be, of Vesper. Yeah, because of what happened with Vesper. And even when he realizes that she wasn't to blame, she was being blackmailed, he still held on to that anger and that hurt. Um, Through Quantum. And, yeah, you see that in into Quantum. And I think you even see it a little bit, you know, later on when he uh, uh, meets... Um, the Leia Sadu character. Madeline. Madeline, excuse me. Thank you. And it's it's hard for him to kind of trust her on a certain level. And you know, even even at the end of um of Spectre, mm-hmm. you know, when she's like, look I, when she's on the bridge, she's like, look, I can't go with you any further. Or right no, I I'm can't sorry be before a part of this yeah. life. Yeah, and she turns and walks away, and then, he, of course, she gets caught, and he has to save her one last time. And I think it's interesting because in Quantum, we saw him mm-hmm. drop uh, Vesper's necklace, necklace in, the, in the, snow. the snow in Russia and walk away. And that's the final shot of the movie, which is great. Mm-hmm. And um, and then and he walks away, but he's walking away towards his job. Mm-hmm. If Spectre had been the last film and we just saw him walking away off that bridge with Madeline, it would have made a great bookend right there. Yeah. Um, Here they kind of explore a little bit more of Bond's emotional journey. Uh, You know, he again winds up being... Until about halfway through this movie, it doesn't even feel like Bond is the main character. He feels actually kind of like the secondary character in his own movie. And I'm okay with that. Okay, I was going to say, some people are not okay with that, though, but they're wrong. No, uh, that's their opinion, but go on. <laughs> no, I, um, we have followed Bond for so long that we see everything through his eyes that mm-hmm. we learn not to trust as well because he doesn't trust. Mm-hmm. By seeing how everyone outside of that reacts to him. We feel for James in a way that we never did before because there's that piece missing. Mm-hmm. Um, like for uh, what I'm trying to say, uh, like, for example, I'm going to use Goldeneye as an example. Okay. Um, our Pierce Bronson, uh, Brosnan character uh, in that film is very detached. He's very cold. He sees things in black and white. Um, and even... Even Alec, um, what was this, 005, yeah. Sean Bean's character, um, he had a, a certain connection through their job. But when it came time for um, Alec to become the villain, to become Yanis, there was a switch that happened. It wasn't, you were once a friend and now you're an enemy. It's, now you're a target. Yeah. There was there was no complexity there. It was just 
Hi, James. Remember me? Okay, like, well, guess I gotta kill you now. Yeah. No, it, no confliction inside of him about no, that? No, no internal, no internal mm. battle. And this film is full of internal battles, more than external. And I love that because your, your breakdown of writing anything is either man versus man, man versus God, man versus himself, or man versus nature. Yeah. Um, and we know that he... I think we've come to terms with the fact he doesn't really believe in God. As for, <laughs> yeah, there's he there's, answers to himself, his yes. own conscience, and his um, own moral code. Yeah, which shifts. Yeah, too, but man versus on. nature usually is only um, brought up by man versus man, aka <laughs> shark bait, hoo ha ha. But we never see man versus himself. And this film needed that in order to truly pay off this section of the franchise mm-hmm. and to give us the ending that we were, we received. Um, there is a moment in the film where Bond gets down on all fours and is kneeling and begging for the life of someone. And I remember sitting in the theater next to my husband and I went, that's a man. I actually said it out loud in the theater. I go, that is a man. That is not a cold-hearted killer. That is a human who feels, who knows that in this moment, the only way to truly help the person he loves is to subjugate himself. And potentially sacrifice their own life. Yeah. Which And which, lose all power in, in that scenario. Way, calls back to Vesper allowing herself to drown in Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. She knew, she, you know, what she had done. She had hurt Bond, and she knew the best thing to do for him was to die. And it just took him a while to learn that lesson, though. Yeah. And and that's true, because at the end of the day, she was marked. If she had survived that situation, Mr. White would have sent someone to kill her. Yeah. And po- potentially kill him in the process mm-hmm. as collateral damage. And she understood that. And I, I like I like that James finally comes to term with that by being put into that situation. Um Yeah, Madeline feels like kind of the main character in this film. Um and it it also brings out a new side of seeing Bond girls. Um there's a formula of always having two in every film that are new, mm-hmm. um, which we got through Lashana Lynch's uh, Naomi and Paloma, played mm-hmm. by Anna de Armos, oh, who is man. amazing. Give, give me that spinoff movie with her. Yeah, she, she was. She needs her own franchise. And there's all and within that formula of the two, one sticks it out through the entire film, and one leaves early, whether they leave alive or they leave dead. No, they're both alive. I mean, we're talking non-spoilers. Well, no, or we're talking spo- with spoilers. Excuse but me. But Paloma is the secondary Bond girl who yeah. doesn't make it all the way through the film. Yeah, they don't always die. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they survive. Sometimes they do, though, and oftentimes it's an innocent. It's not even like they're collateral uh, damage. Yeah, they're collateral like damage. Like in, 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 you know, um, or Ms. Fields. Oh yeah, Ms. Um, Fields or yeah. Severine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just accidentally, you know, cross Bond's path. Um, half the time he beds them and they pay the price for 
you know, going to bed with him. Yeah. And because I, they wind up getting murdered by somebody. Yeah. And uh, Spectre started to break that mold when they didn't kill off Monica Bellucci's character. Mm-hmm. They almost did. And then they had Bond step in and save her. Yes. And yeah, he bedded her, but she survived. Mm-hmm. Here, um, I like the idea that both survives. And he actually doesn't bed either of them. Mm-mm. It, that completely breaks the mold of Bond girls. True. They, they've done so much uh, in terms of breaking franchise tropes. I don't want to say rules. I want to say tropes. They are tropes. Um, because they're, they're not rules because you can do these stories without these kind of things. You can yeah. do it without Bond, um, you know, betting three or four women. And that, you know, in the mid-80s, you know, with Timothy Dalton, that era, that started to become a concern because of AIDS. And so the, you know, the franchise kind of shifted on that. Um, you know, there's other things. It returned to that in the 90s. A little bit, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule. It's more of a trope. Yeah. And what I've liked about this, uh, this run of films, all the Daniel Craig films, is they're not only just playing with Bond tropes and Bond bond film conventions Mm -hmm. but they're doing it in a way that's kind of also reflexively asking what is the purpose of an agent with a license to kill in the 21st century yeah because the bond character is such a cold war relic he really is we went back and we watched uh goldfinger mm -hmm. during covid (laughs) And oh, don't <laughs> man talk smack! Yes. I knew you were gonna do it. I know. So. Well, there's the the two moments we were sitting there watching the movie, and yeah, okay. Again, I was kind of sneaking a look for your reaction, but that you know, the, <laughs> that was a beautiful reaction that you talk, got on that one. The man talk, and you just like were like, "Excuse me, what just happened?" I didn't say it. I just you, my, you had the look. The look. Face. Like, <laughs> and then um, also fucking a lesbian, turning her straight, and making her a good guy in the process, good gal in the process. Yes, R- well, not fucking her. He rapes her. Yeah, Bond, no, he full on rapes her. Bond rapes pussy galore, yeah. and there's no way around that. Actually, care the director of No Time to Die recently said in an interview that James Bond straight up rapes the woman in uh, Thunderball. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can and, see that. I can see that. There, he, yeah, he, he's very forceful. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know, again, it's a franchise that's run fifty some years now. So and we sort of gone have through to, separate yeah, iterations, separate iterations, and different iterations of societal norms and mores. So, so obviously, you know, in the sixties, that might have not been looked down as bad. Um, but you know, now we look at that and, and, uh, with different eyes. Yeah. We, we look at it with different eyes and I'm so glad also that the Broccoli's and, and even Craig's influence on these films has looked at it is in why mm-hmm. does it serve a purpose? No, it doesn't. So why do we need it? Like looking back on Casino Royale, he only beds one of the women. He never screws Solange. Yeah, mm-hmm. she ends up dead in the process because she meets with with Craig. He he but, romances her. He seduces her. But, but he then he leaves her, her there. Yeah, yeah, as soon as he gets the information, he's out the door. Yeah. He's not like, well, let's you know throw a leg up first and then I'll be out the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No point to that. They they look at theme. They look at character. They look at story. 
more so than anything else. Mm -hmm. And this is probably the least glamorous um, Bond film that we've ever had. True. I was going to say, overall, I mean, the Craig era still has, you know, the exotic locales, a lot of the um, glamour, the... um, High life living, you know, high stakes poker games and yeah. or going to, you know, exclusive places that, you know, we only got that yeah. definitely out of the, the realm of most people's pocketbooks. Yeah. We only got that in one scene in this and the scene's not even that long when mm-hmm. they're in Cuba. Yeah. Um, the party where he dresses in the tuxedo and Paloma's in a beautiful gown, it lasts a grand Grand total of um, seven minutes, something like that. Yeah, it's 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 so small, and the the runtime on this film is two hours and thirty minutes. Two hours and forty, I believe. Somewhere in there, yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's it takes its time. It never feels like it's lagging, though. No, and the cinematography was gorgeous. Oh. There was there was uh, some definite callbacks to previous Bond films. Um, Mm-hmm. And I actually saw someone write in a Criterion group that some of the cinematography reminded them of Tarkovsky. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm not familiar enough with Tarkovsky, <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed to say, to uh, be able to give well, that a thumbs also, up or a thumbs he down. He put up like side-by-side stills from No Time to Die versus shots from Tarkovsky's films. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll have to send me a link to that then to take a look at Um <laughs> And I, I thought that was really interesting. We had Roger Deakins shooting Skyfall, Skyfall and oh it's still God. the most beautiful Bond movie ever shot. Yeah, it, it's 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 absolutely gorgeous. Uh-huh. The the uh, window fight in Shanghai is just uh, his arrival in what is it Macau, Macau on the boat uh-huh. oh, with the paper lanterns. It's just that's just like art, and you know it's like there those are frames I would blow up and. You know, frame and hang on a wall. And then that opening of uh, Spectre, that beautiful one shot. Oh, the oneer! Oh, oh god. my god! From from the Day of the Dead parade. Uh huh. Uh, picking up Bond all up, the way up, up to into the room. He goes out the window, across the roofs, and then to when he sets up position to uh-huh. assassinate the, um, the the terrorist. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Yeah, it's so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at that, and I can. I think I know where they might have stitched uh, one edit together visually, and that's only because I really kind of have an eye, you know, an eye out for that. But most but, times you can't tell. No, no, it's not. I mean, if you see Rope, which is supposed to be like a one, sh- you know, quote unquote one shot film by Alfred Hitchcock, you mm-hmm. kind of know where. Okay, that's where the first reel oh, ended because they ran out of film. The, yeah, yeah, they ran out of film in the camera. Um, but on this, it's like, man, you really can't tell. You can't see And it. that's, that's somebody with a digital camera and a, uh, a small lightweight, um, you know, rig that they're wearing. Either working on a drone or working on a, a crane or, or, um, it has to be a drone. I don't think it was a drone. I think, I mean, it, I mean, it starts off start, high. Yeah. It starts off very high on that, um, uh. The Day of the Dead parade float skeleton with a cigar. But we've also seen people do a drone to when it comes down, someone grabs it right off the drone. Yeah. And continues I'm, I'm, a steady I'm thinking at that point, drones might not have been as ubiquitous as they are now, even though it was only six, seven years ago. I'm thinking it might have been a crane shot, and then they just 
stepped off the crane. You know, they might have been on like a platform and then they just kind of step off the platform. I mean, yeah, that might yeah. that might have been the case too. But but either way, it's, it's seamlessly gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I had forgotten about that shot. And I think, <laughs> you know, and you know when I was rewatching Spectre, because I messaged you and I was like, oh my god, I forgot how great this one is that opens this show. Actually, there was a section where I thought I had caught a little bit of a one in um in Spectre mm-hmm. during the stairwell fight. Which, ha- this movie has some great dry humor moments. Mm-hmm. Um like, for example, I've got something to show you. Another kid? <laughs> or um, throwing up a grenade up to a, a, t- a higher level, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden five come down to bones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the look on his face is like, <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> um, there is a... Out of any era of the Bond franchise, this is the most beautiful era mm-hmm. in terms of just production not production value in terms of like uh scantily clad women guys in tuxedos no we're talking cinematography production design costume design the lighting the look the mise-en-scene it's so iconic a lot of the shots from this era Mm -hmm. are just going to carry on and 30 years from now someone's going to be looking at that going that's going to influence Mm -hmm. my work and and the bond franchise i mean that you know it's always there's the accent on adventure and action and so you know you'll see stuff where they kind of do like um like that the the was it the bridge jump or the the dam jump in goldeneye where the guy comes off the is it goldeneye where the guy comes off the dam uh and then parachutes yeah and they do that also on a mount off a mountain in one of the roger moore ones yeah it was off a mountain in the roger moore and I don't think it was a dam in uh, Goldeneye. I think that was also off a mountain, if I remember okay. correctly, because it, he was yeah. on a plane. Brosnan the plane is the went one off. I didn't get a chance to go back and rewatch anything from before this, so I apologize. Goldeneye, I usually don't have to because that's the one I watched the most from the Brosnan era. Okay. So yeah, he was on a plane. He jumps out the plane, mm. and then all of a sudden we yeah, get the, there, the gorgeous. There have been numerous films that they've done the. Uh, out the plane without a parachute gag and various the, versions of him fighting people to get a parachute and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but And then when the parachute opens, it's the freaking Union flag. Yeah. And e- even in, um, like, Man with a Golden Gun, when he does that cork... I know, it's not a great movie. It's not good. But that corkscrew jump in the car... Where they hit the ramp and they do the corkscrew in the air and then they land back down. Yeah. That's that's a great, great stunt. And that's actually the first stunt that was ever done with the prep work involved actually doing uh, computations on computers to run computer models to make sure they knew exactly how to do it right. Okay. Gotta give them uh, yeah. credit so, for that. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and then they splash that stupid... Um, slide whistle sound effect across the top of it. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, your eyes just rolled. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it cheesy. Yeah. The, the Roger Moore, I've I've been watching the Roger Moore ones this week uh, for the first time ever. I've only got through the first three out of seven. And, oh, God, I want to hit my head off the table right now. No, 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 no. There, there are still a couple of good ones, and 
I'm going to kind of go to bat on Octopussy. Which, I, I haven't got there yet. Okay. Which some people, most people feel isn't that great. Moonbreaker is up next. Oh, dear Lord. You're in so much trouble with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm seeing right now is a pattern of Live and Let Die was actually really good. Man with the Golden Gun. It was shit. Uh, the next one was Spy. The Spy Who Loved Me, which I fucking loved. And mm-hmm. now I'm getting to Moonraker, and I know what's coming. And I'm and, like, oh, and, fuck. And, and I will say the one after Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, again, is good. Um, so, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, boom, boom. Zigzag. Yeah. Uh, I think people with Roger Moore mostly tend to remember the stinkers and the fact that he just is like the quippy Bond. He's very quippy. Mm. That was something that um, we did see a return to in No Time to Die. We got some of those quips back. <laughs> and there, mm. when they, and that was something I was, um, as I was watching the Roger Moore ones, every time one happened, I was like rolling my eyes and ducking behind a pillow. And Darren was laughing <laughs> his ass off. And he goes, come on. They're, they're bond, they're bond lines. I go, no, if anyone else had said these things, these are dad jokes. But because Bond is saying them, they're Bond jokes. Uh, there know, is no difference. You know, you're you're pretty right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, thank God, uh, we got we got them during the Brosnan era, mm-hmm. but we lost them during Daniel Craig mm-hmm. up until this movie. <laughs> and I was, but here, making dad jokes. Has a payoff. Yes, he's a dad. He's a dad. <laughs> he's an actual dad. Which, which, honestly, is something I'm surprised we haven't talked about. That, so this no, is a spoiler. Well, we already know it's a spoiler. Episode. Yeah, but I, uh, we, yeah. but we hadn't said anything during this podcast. Yeah, um, he has a daughter with Madeline by the yeah. name of Matilda that it, he doesn't find out about. I'm, I'm surprised it took the franchise, you know, this long to get to that idea that Bond has a bastard child out there i mean there have been jokes before <laughs> yeah, about that people yeah <laughs> there have been jokes about that before there was a comic book miniseries a few years back called jimmy's bastards <laughs> about oh, a please about, tell me it's a ragtag team of all of his kids it's it's a giant villainous secret society <laughs> of, of <laughs> all his bastard better. children <laughs> And and well, trust me, the the James Bond analog in this is no saint. He's he's a real dick and an asshole too, <laughs> and and so there's nobody good in this book except for like the poor uh, the poor Secret Service uh, agent who gets stuck being his sidekick. Is it bad I was seeing like a Suicide Squad kind of team <laughs> made up of James Bond's kids? <laughs> oh no! This is there's like hundreds of them. This this oh, basically shit. is like you know yeah you know, for thirty years you know he was hit tapping uh, every pussy you could get. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna go with something like Jimmy Apple Seaman, you know, <laughs> just everywhere. And, <laughs> and it was a it was a it was a funny conceit. I think it ran like an issue too long for my taste, but you know. That, the idea has been out there for a long time. It's I'm surprised it took them this long to kind of get to that. Even even not even a joking acknowledgement at some point along the way. Somebody goes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that until now. And I'm sort of glad that they didn't, though, because if they had in any way whatsoever in previous incarnations of Bond ever kind of touched on something like this, 
Well, they wouldn't have because that kind of makes reality intrude upon the fantasy of the Bond character. But I think it would also would have undercut them being able to be as effective as they are here in this movie. Yeah. Um, before, like like I said, he, he's a very cut and dry, you know, character. He doesn't get emotionally attached to anyone in any of the previous eras. So him having a kid, it's a cheap joke. It, it it would not have played as serious in any sense of the word. Yeah. Here, it pays off so much, and it grounds our character. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to another thing, too, that, the, that this movie really kind of focused in on is the idea of family for Bond. Yeah. Um, we... You know, well, that, he, that's kind of carried through this era of the franchise because yeah, you it's, always it's, saw M as kind of a surrogate mom. M has been a surrogate. It's been in the background. M has yeah. been a surrogate mother, and he has to go home to Skyfall to lose her mm-hmm. uh, the way he also lost his parents. Yeah. Um, the and, idea of Blofeld being kind of like a, a twisted brother. Yeah, kind of twisted stepbrother together, there for, yeah. Yeah, for a couple of years. Um, Kincaid is a surrogate a dad. Father figure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so you see them starting to explore that with, uh, you know, in Skyfall and then again in Spectre. But here, by the end of it, Bond really has two families. He has Madeline and the kid mm-hmm. and his MI6 colleagues. I would, eat, I, I would call... The, uh, the not, way they all work together at the end. Not Q or Tanner, but... If you take all the, uh, the I would say Q, I would say Q Tanner. Hang on. And, okay, you, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. If you take all the quippy, you know, fun jokes aside, I would say Money Penny is like a sister. Yeah, definitely. There's a connection there uh-huh. of sister to brother. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say even you know, um, uh, by the time you see them working, you know, as a team. Like, at the end of Spectre and in mm-hmm. the third act of this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I, A, I enjoy seeing, like, those secondary characters getting more screen time. Um, you know, it's fun. It's like, you know, it's not like he just says, hello. You know, they make, you know, their two-day appearance on set and they collect a check. Uh, they actually have something to contribute to the story. And we get to see some of their own character. Especially uh, for Q this time around, too. Yeah. Which was nice. Um and so, given how No Time to Die ends, I, I am sort of sad that we're not going to see the rest of these characters continue, I don't think, uh, Yeah. into a new era. You want to talk about spinoffs for Paloma. Can we get one for Q and Moneypenny and Mallory? Yeah. They, they were kind of fun and badass. I would, I'd watch, I'd watch, you know, the MI6 movie franchise and, you know, they send the new 007 out and, you know, bring, maybe bring somebody else into as, mm-hmm. you know... You know, whatever. I mean, I, I feel bad for Tanner because we had Tobias Menzies play him in um, in Casino Royale, mm-hmm. and then he kind of left, and they brought in Rory Kinnear from Quantum On. Both of these actors are incredible, underrated in America. Mm-hmm. They are big in the UK, um, but they've kind of grown from. This like at one point, my uh, Darren said to me, uh, "Why do I know Tanner?" <laughs> I go, uh, "Penny Dreadful." Yeah, how much <laughs> have you watched of Penny Dreadful with me? A lot. 
that's the creature, honey. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, of course, Tobias has just won his Emmy for the crown and, mm-hmm. and uh, played Blackjack Randall on Outlander. And he, he's made it. He's making a huge name for himself. But despite having these two actors, the, Tanner is so Tanner underused. Is, yeah, he would be the underused one out of all that. I mean, you learn a little bit about Mallory. Uh, the new M in, of course, Skyfall. And and you get to see him in action first. Yeah. yeah. First he seems like, oh, he's like trying to force M to retire. What a dick. And then... He picks up a gun during and then that hearing. That, yeah, during that hearing when uh, all things go to hell. You know, he's the first... He's like one of the first ones to grab a loose gun and return fire. Yeah. And I'm just like, he, yeah, go, man. You know, He and, is confident. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think you needed to give him some cred to make him an effective, you know, new head of MI6 by showing that he can he can be a man of action. He has that background. Yeah. And, and money- that's why he deserves to be in that chair mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. Money Penny, we we see her in the field, we see her at the desk, we see her home life. Mm-hmm. In uh Inspector. Are you are you on a date? <laughs> it's called Life James. Thanks. You should try, try it. it. <laughs> Which was a nice little you know, hit into uh, into no time to die because now he has a he has a life yes. he has a family, um, and then in this one we see Q getting ready, ready. setting up dinner for, for his date. yeah his date uh-huh. or his partner or whoever it may be. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, I thought that was I I thought it was interesting that we saw backstories pretty much on all of them. And somehow we forgot about fucking Tanner, the one who's been there the longest. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Tanner does kind of get um, pushed aside. Yeah. Why? I'm like, not you sure. don't understand how much you're underutilizing this actor who mm-hmm. is, uh, who's given one of the best Macbeths in the past 30 <laughs> years. Like, seriously, do something with him. It, but with all those characters, though, if. You have only so much time to service all of them, and you kind of underservice only one and not all of them or more than one. You're still doing pretty good. That's still a pretty darn good batting average. I would have under Tanner got a lot of use in Spectre and in this one. Um, I would have liked to see less of Money Penny in this one. Okay. Because we've seen her in the last two. We, mm-hmm. we we kind of understand her story. We've gotten her backstory, or not her backstory, but, you know, like, we see her home life. We see what she's capable of. Um, and just to kind of give Tanner his due here, Yeah, give him a little bit more. We also do. have okay. so many female characters in this one between Naomi and Eve, Madeline, Paloma. Um, yeah. I would have been fine with not having much of Eve in this one. Give me a little Tanner. Okay. Um, okay, so the ending. Obviously very deserved, very emotional for fans, especially if you have invested into the uh, the emotional journey. You're just grabbing a roll of paper towels. Just in case. <laughs> Keep that on hand for me for the Ghostbusters talk next month. Um, it's going to be very scratchy on my face. <laughs> but um, definitely earned. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely earned. And I, I think it's probably the most logical conclusion point for everything that 
the character has gone through in terms of emotional growth and learning to trust and learning to sacrifice for others and learning that that is what love can be. I, um, I left the theater and the only post I put up on Facebook, very vague, but I said, they did it. I didn't think they would, but they actually did it. Mm-hmm. I'm impressed. Yeah. And we had a conversation, I think, the next day after I had been to that advanced screening. And I think you started to go towards the conversation started to drift towards you saying something along the lines of, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they killed them off or I could see where they could. I don't know if they will or not. And I'm I didn't just think they there. would kill a cash cow. <laughs> well... We'll get to that in a half second, but, and I'm just trying to keep steering the conversation away from this because I'm like, anything I reply will be interpreted one way or another by you. And you know, like when I'm trying to avoid saying Yeah, because you know I read into things like this. Exactly. Um, But, but no, they didn't kill the cash cow. What's the very last thing in the credit roll? He will return. James Bond will return. return. Yes. Um, So where, where do they take the franchise from here? I don't know. Um, I don't even want to think about that just yet. <laughs> um, and, and the reasoning is, is because I mentioned to you about how I like the idea that James Bond is a designation, not a, not a name, but kind of the Craig era filled in all of those gaps going back to his birth mm-hmm. uh, with his family and all that. So kind of destroys that idea. Unless, you know, they bring in a new agent and go, okay, just to keep things confusing for our enemies, you have this designation uh, with the name of a dead agent now. Because he's now a myth. Yeah, he's now a legend. And we kind of get that Bond transitioning from character to legend to myth status at the end of the movie. As Madeline Let me tell you a story about a man... His name is Bond, James Bond. Yeah, to and, her daughter. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm trying to read something into here that we can't know what the intent, you know, artistic intention may be until we get the next movie in a couple of years, three, four, five years, if whatever. If they did it in that way, we could see the return of Mallory and yeah. even... Oh, yeah, which would be fun. But I, you know, but if not, I, I would actually prefer them just to... Close, close this universe off and start a new universe uh, mm-hmm. and take a different tact. Um, I don't know what that tact would be. I mean, they've done plenty of exploration about, you know, Bond as a character, Bond as a fallible human being, Bond learning to trust, learning to love. Uh, and, you know, what is it? What What is, you know, the value of a human agent to murder in the era of drones, in the era of the 21st century, in this computerized era, et cetera, et cetera. They, they've kind of touched on a lot of that stuff. So I don't know where they go from here, honestly. Yeah. Um, I know that, um, yeah, the that was definitely spoken about during Spectre. They did talk about that, how, you know, the double O program is old and antiquated and everything could be done mm-hmm. via drone. They actually yeah. say that. Um, and even even is touched upon in Skyfall when Q in their first meeting says, well, I can do more 
damage on my laptop before my first cup of Earl Grey than you can do in an entire year in the field. And he goes, well, then why do you need me? And he goes, every now and then a trigger has to be pulled. Yes. Or not pulled. It's hard to tell which in your pajamas. <laughs> which, yeah, there's innuendo there, but mm-hmm. it's also can be a pretty serious conversation of what's my worth. Yes, exactly. Um, and... You know, there are no answers sometimes to those questions, but it's interesting to explore them. So does the the franchise keep doing stuff like that? Do they return to the, you know, episodic thing? I can't see them in the age where everybody has continuing storylines in their movies. Episodic wouldn't work here. I don't, I don't see Bond returning to episodic. Mm. And there are old school fans who would probably welcome that, who are probably like, okay, we've done our Daniel Craig thing, now let's just go back to... You know, something that feels like a, you know, a Connery or a Roger Moore film. Even and... even Mission Impossible has steered away from episodic. And um, that started with Ghost Protocol. Yeah, I mean, yeah, characters come back. Um, there are thoughts and ideas also that continue. Also has Leia Sido in it. Yeah, okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a beautiful segue. <laughs> um, so, you know, in the Bourne franchise, which some people have claimed was what the Daniel Craig films were always trying to chase after. I mean, you and I have talked about how the Bond films often are trend chasers. Yeah. Yeah, like, Moonraker only happened because of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. The whole Roger Moore. We we get Harlem yeah. in yeah, the th- 70s. That's, yeah, that's, that's all black exploitation. Let's see. What was it? The sp- was it The Spy Who Loved Me? There was something in The Spy Who Loved Me I mentioned. Oh, yeah. Or was it yeah. you know, The Golden Gun? I can't remember, honestly. They they do kind of blur after a while. Was, I apologize. No, it's um, okay. Like, it's, but it's yeah, really trendy. It was, and, and, of course, you know. Turning uh, Live and Let Die into black exploitation is ridiculous because in an actual black exploitation movie, Bond would be the bad guy. Yeah. Bond would be the man that. Um, the pig. The pig. Whitey. Uh, <laughs> they call him Honky a couple times in well, there. Yeah, deservedly so. <laughs> um, G, a, uh, a symbol oh, of. Kung Fu. It was oh, um, the kung fu stuff, yeah. In Man with the Golden Man Gun. Man with the Golden Gun, that I, whole kung fu thing looks I was just like, lifted oh, out of Game of uh, Yeah. Uh, Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Well, not just Enter the Dragon. Like, there's a kung fu during that time. I mean, yeah. You, you, like Sharon Tate doing it in her film with uh, Dean Martin. And, mm-hmm. and then, of course, you know, the Dolomite bringing on. <laughs> and uh, all the, the Shaw Brothers stuff films. running yeah. in Times Square theaters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that Kung Fu craze of the early 70s, which, of course, birthed uh, Marvel also, Marvel Comics also being a trend chaser, birthed uh, the uh, Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu comic. Which became a movie, which is honestly a lot better than the comic. <laughs> oh my no, god, Tony no, Langham, that is amazing. No, the comic is basically, uh, you know, Shang-Chi walking around barefoot in a red karate gi with a headband. And there's a... I, I, I think they mean well, but Caucasian writers were writing oh. <laughs> some stereotypical s- stuff. Yeah. And it was, yeah, some yellow peril Fu Manchu villains and stuff. It was not good. Um... So, yeah, so going forward, mm-hmm. Bond, what, we have to keep him grounded in the, in, in real world politics? We can't quite have, like, I'm going to destroy the world 
with nuclear warheads so we can live underwater or anything like that. The one thing I do like that they played with Inspector is um, the idea of, yeah, it can all be done via drone and all that now. But the person whose finger is on the trigger, depending on where they stand, can be, you know, hero or villain. Q doing a lot of damage on his computer. We know where he stands. <laughs> Mallory creating the Hercules project. He had the best intentions in the world, but heaven forbid it falls into the wrong hand. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's always a matter of wrong hands. You may play God and create the most powerful thing on the world with the right intention. Someone will always find a way to turn it into what they want to use as a weapon. Um, so I think there's always going to be a use for Bond. Whether or not we know what that is remains to be seen, but there will always be a need for him. True. And I think that should just about wrap us up for this week. <laughs> Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're listening to, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. Uh, now we'll be back next time with more news and a review of... Um, not sure yet, actually. <laughs> maybe the last duel. Uh, maybe the last duel. That's coming up. Ooh, soon. Halloween Kills comes also out. That uh, week. Yeah, we maybe doing a double feature. It's a busy uh, couple of weeks uh, with a lot of bunch of stuff that we're looking forward to seeing. Um, so as soon as we see it, we'll uh, get back here and talk to you about it. Exactly. Right here on the Big Picture Podcast. <laughs>